All right, our scripture reading for this morning is 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 23 to 26. If you're there, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, there's only one person there. One person, one, one, one person, ain't that something? <laughs> so we're gonna start a stand-up comedy. We're gonna start going nationwide. So, send and make it. Don't get me started now. I'll, I'll make some improvements, y'all. You'll love it. All right. <laughs> First Corinthians. First Corinthians eleven twenty-three to twenty-six. For I, have, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Amen. All right. So now I'm going to speak in Yoruba, which is a uh, my language from the s- southwestern part of Nigeria. Nitori eyiti emi balowo oluwa ni mofi ni moti fi foyin ni ale ojo ti judas ifihan oluwa jesu christi mu akara leyin igba leyin igba ti o ti dupe lowo olorun fun akara na ton obo o fi fun o fi fun awon omo eyin re o si wipe egba ki e si je eyin ni eyi ni ara mi ti a fi fun yin Emma Shay, Emma Shay, Lenny, Rontimi. Be get get lay on jale. O see mo, I go whining. O see we pay. I go ye knee, my gemmo to Tonino, a jemmy. Emma Shay, ye, Nick Bakigba. Tea a imbam moo. Nick Bakigba, tea a imbam moo knee, Rontimi. Ni tori ni gba kogba ti ebanje lara akara yi ti esin mu ninu ago yi ni etun so nipa iku oluwa e ma se e titi yo fi padade amen amen you can take it. what he said y'all y'all know what he said. that was the tongues y'all out of the way to all the men in the room this Saturday we have a man's breakfast so we want to invite uh, you gentlemen out at 8 o'clock uh, this Saturday. The brothers are going to gather uh, for, for some bacon and eggs. And then we're going to, you know, you know we're going to sharpen iron and all that good stuff. Um, and so we want a place for men to be able to, to lay their burdens or just build friendships. So um, this Saturday at 8 o'clock, need more information, come see me. Are y'all ready for the word? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Thank you for your written word that encourages us, that gives life to us, that stabilizes us, that makes wise the symbol. Lord, would you move in this place right now in this moment that each person in this room would know that they are not here by chance, but by divine appointment. 
We ask that you will now work. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say it. Uh, for those of you who have not joined us in the last maybe couple months, we have been doing a series called Habits of Grace. And today is our, our second week uh, on the church fellowship and Christian community, which I talked about a little bit last week. Fellowship is another means God uses to grow us in our Christian walk. We believe that God uses our fellowship, our relationship, our connecting with one another as we utilize our gifts, as we open up our homes, as we open up our hearts. God uses that to help you, the believer, grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I titled the message, This Is Us, and today is part, part two, and many of you know I, I stole that title. I didn't come up with that title. I, I stole that title from, 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 from a Hulu TV series, and don't look at me like y'all don't watch Hulu up in this piece, because I know that there's some other Hulu watchers up in here, and mainly the show focused on uh, uh, this term they call the, the Big Three, which is Randall Kate. Uh, and Kevin, a TV show of this transracial family that, 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 that all have these messy lives. And one of the things that I love about this show is that they don't hide the mess, right? They work through that mess, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, because they value family, they always figure it out. Though it's hard, they, they figure it out. And the church should be very similar. We are a messy family, but, but God has instructed us to value his family, A, because we are all in the Lord Jesus Christ, but secondly, we need each other. I know that's hard for some of you to swallow, but I'm going to say it again. We need each other. There is no such thing as an independent Christian. They don't exist. Now, the church is basically, if you want to summarize it, basically is God's family. And one of the historical institutions that that will help you and I appreciate and value the church is the black church. Now, many say there shouldn't be a black church, but the black church was birthed out of slavery and segregation. So here's a little history on the black church. I enjoy the way one article sums it up. The African-American history of oppression in the United States began in the 17th century when West Africans of a noble lineage were chained and packed onto ships against their will by white American settlers. Sadly, many died on the long voyage to the States. And those who survived were sold to the highest bidder on the shipyards of Virginia. The transatlantic slave trade ended in the early 19th century. But not before millions of Africans were imported and sold as prized commodities. It resulted in our ancestors being stripped of their culture, heritage, and native language, then getting, then getting dehumanized by plantation owners in the southern states. The institution of slavery lasted over 250 years and did not end until President Abraham Lincoln signed an executive order known as the Emancipation of Proclamation to Free the Enslaved Blacks. Though it led to a brief reconstruction period where the newly free slaves thrived economically and socially, the institution of racism was reintroduced in the form of Black Code and Jim Crow in the South, while de facto segregation occurred in the North. And if you don't know about de facto segregation, you should look into it. Thanks to 
Guys like Martin Luther King and ladies like Fannie Lou Hamer, civil rights leaders who crisscrossed the country to oppose economic and political disenfranchisement, uh, uh, this legal form of segregation collapse in the 1960s. But the oppression of the African Americans did not end in the 60s. It was simply reconstituted as the racially motivated war on drugs of the 1970s, which is more of a war on black people. Its enforcement resulted in the over-policing of African-American communities and landed many in jail with mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenses. Some states like Colorado and Washington are enjoying major profits from recent legalization of those same exact drugs. It is the new Jim Crow. During these times, the black church stepped up and we witness what the church can truly be when she functions as the Lord has called her to, both her members in the world. The black church has helped brothers and sisters become psychologically liberated from negative and destructive social habits, assisted in overcoming social and economic oppression, provided leadership development opportunities, developed a family structure, provided opportunity for social networking for business within urban communities to thrive economically. Furthermore, throughout history, black churches have built retirement homes, schools, created mentoring programs for at-risk youth, provided job development skill, offered millions of dollars in scholarship, built recreation centers, provided prison aftercare, drug prevention programs, and the housing for the poor, among other things. She created credit unions to provide low-interest loans for potential business and work with HUD and local housing authorities to provide home ownership opportunities for the poor and urban minorities. Historically, the black, the black church has been the primary agent of social, economic, and religious empowerment since the post-slavery era, and she trained, nurtured, launched virtually all the credible leaders from a broad range of disciplines, including religion, business, politics, music, and education. Consequently, the black church founded education institutions like Morehouse College, Spelman Seminary, now known as Spelman College, Shaw University, Virginia Union University, and Bishop College to promote learning within and outside the church. Does the black church stand outside of the spectrum of critique? Absolutely not. Constructive criticism of her traditions are warranted, but can her impact be disregarded? Not at all. Because when the church functions as Christ calls it to, no one can ignore her light. I'm going to say it again. When the church operates, functions, let me just put it this way. When the church is, is not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, nobody in the world can ignore the light that she will illuminate. The, the brightness of that light, church, starts with us. You say, what us? I'm talking about us is this. I made that up. I'm always making up words anyway. Us who call on the name of the Lord. Us who claim his blood has covered our sins. Us who depend on the Jesus that walked on water and fed 5,000 with a lunchable. Us 
is who I'm talking about. And the brightness of that light starts with those folks. And our togetherness and love for each other, the world notices that we are Jesus' disciples. The black church serves as one reminder that every Christian desperately needs the life-giving vibrancy of connection in a healthy local church. The black church serves as one reminder that every Christian desperately needs, let me say it really slow, the life-giving vibrancy of connection in a healthy local church. Yeah, I'm going to press in on that local church a little bit later. Building on last week, we looked today at the, compo- at the components of a healthy local church we each need in our faith walk. What are the com- components the local church should provide for the health of its members? Your local church should provide a few components that will help you grow. The preach word of God, the observance of the ordinances that Jesus gave to his church, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, space and opportunity for you to commit to one another commandment, love each other, exhort each other, and modest each other, hold each other accountable. And I'll try to be brief on the first four points. Like how many other points you got then, brother? preach word of God. Friends, I don't be long on this. I'm going to just make it plain. The local church ought to be preaching the word of God because the word of God can save your life. In fact, the word of God has such a powerful effect that your life can be, be falling apart. And you can sit under the preached word, and it'll pull you together. I wish I had some folks in the room that wouldn't allow me to preach this point very hard. But by testimony, know that you didn't came to church sometimes. And your whole week was falling apart. And the word of God, not the preacher, but the word of God preached through the man of God has saved your life. The word of God is living in and is active. Next thing the church ought to do. is administer the Lord's Supper. King read it early. I'll read it again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This could be a whole sermon, but so forgive me of the brevity of this this section. The Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion are all referring to the same ordinance in the church. Jesus established this in the upper room. Some of y'all know it as the upper room. Never mind. Sorry, 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 sorry. Y'all need to go watch life, you know, to help you out. I'm just saying, y'all going to keep up. Y'all better watch our movies. The upper room. Uh, anyway, and you can't use core bread for the Lord. Never mind. Let's just 
Let's just keep going. Some of, some of them know what I'm talking about. The, the church has practiced communion from the beginning. There are some varying views on its purpose. Our teaching is that the Lord's table is a means of grace to us as Christians. The element of the bread and the cup are symbolic of Jesus' body and blood. Both are Christ's work of redemption on the cross. Eating and drinking these elements are gospel reenactments and reminds our soul of the gospel we hold dear. Let me dig. It is not an act for the unbeliever, the Lord's table. Unbelievers may be present. Indeed, we welcome them to be present. There is nothing secretive about the Lord's Supper. All right? This is not Jim Jones. All right? We're not drinking the Kool-Aid. All right? It's done in public, right? They ain't coming in no dark room, right? None of, that, none of that crazy stuff, right? But it's done in public. It has a public meaning. It is not a secretive or cultic ritual with magic powers. It is a public act of worship by the gathered church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there is a proclamation to the supper. In this proclamation, we are, A, reminding ourselves of the victory that we have in Jesus. And then we are reminding the devil and the demons of the victory that we have in Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. That we're not going to go play the game again. The game has already been won. It's like you're going to grab that trophy off of your shelf and hugging it like Michael Jordan did when he first won his NBA championship. I don't know if some of y'all remember that picture, but he, 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 I mean, before they made the Jordan crying face, there was another crying face. And he hugged that trophy because that trophy was a reminder of the victory that he had. And so, y'all, when we do the communion, what we're doing is we're grabbing that trophy again and we're reminding ourselves and we're reminding the world, no matter what you throw at us, no matter what you do, in the end, we, we win. And we've already won, y'all. That's right. Yes, we did. We already won. You ought to celebrate God right now that the victory is already won. That it's done, y'all. But let's be honest. Come on, y'all. Let's be honest. All right. We family up in here. We can be honest. Right? I know y'all holy. And I know you're saved. I do. I do know that. And I know you come to church um, and you read your Bibles. Um, and some of y'all can, can pray all night long. I know. I know that. And I don't mean to insult you with this. Uh, 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 but sometimes uh, we forget that we got the victory. Anybody in the room sometimes? I mean, just sometimes, not, not all the time. I mean, I mean, life brings circumstances that makes you forget or makes you doubt that you won the victory. Oh, you ain't never been in that situation? I mean, I know there's weeks when, when you got your chest stuck out and, and, and faith is all in your heart. But, but, but there's some weeks, y'all. I mean, there's some weeks where, 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 where life knocks me off my feet. And sometimes I doubt that I got the victory. And therefore, the Lord says, y'all need to take the Lord's Supper because y'all need to be reminded often. 
that you got to pick. Right? You can preach the Lord's Supper in another way as a vow renewal. The Lord's Supper is an act of the gathered family of those who believe in Jesus, the church. And when we do the Lord's Supper, picture it as a vow renewal. Why do couples do vow renewals? Y'all ain't got to say it out loud. You can if it'll help you. Mainly to remind them of the covenant they have and to refresh their hearts in that covenant. Jesus made a covenant with us, and we remind our hearts and our minds and one another of that covenant when we take the Lord's what? The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is effectively a spiritual meal with Jesus in which my soul is renewed as I allow the tasting and the swallowing of the bread in the cup to be reenact my own receiving of my Savior. We are not saved again, let me be clear. But we are, in a sense, renewing our vows, receiving and personalizing the gospel. And the early church did this when they came together for fellowship. And I believe the local church should lead and administer the Lord's Supper to its members. Because the local church should officiate your vow renewal. The local church should keep the gospel in front of you. Unlike typical vow renewals that happens every five to ten years, we do it monthly. In amen, somebody. Because I need, I'm just going to talk about me. I ain't going to talk about you. Me, I'm talking about me. I'm not going to put you in it. I need my vows renewed. It can't be every five to ten years. No, I can't do five to ten years. No, I can't do five to ten years. No, I need to be reminded of the gospel every day if I can. But church, if you're going to remind me at least monthly, I'll take it because I need, it to be, I need to be reminded every chance that I get. The second ordinance that the Lord has given the local church is baptism. Baptism, I'm going to be even briefer on this one. Uh, now, some of us may be familiar on how, on how you get in the game. Y'all just keep looking at me. Now, if you're going to get in the gang, sometimes back then you had to get jumped in. Yeah, that's what, that's what had to happen. You wanted to get in the gang, you, you, you had to get initiated. You, you know, you get beat up. That's how you get in. So, so come right here. Okay, I missed some of y'all. Let me try another door. Some of y'all know how y'all had to get into y'all sorority and fraternity. Y'all know what had to happen in order for you to join that organization. Baptism is not that intense only because Jesus took our beating on the cross, amen, somebody. Which is why I can't join a lot of things because you ain't hitting me. No, I ain't, gonna, no, I ain't giving no free licks. You're going to get these hands. Ain't going to be no, no hitting on me. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> baptism, baptism is not that intense because Jesus took the beating for us on the cross. But it is your public declaration that I'm riding with these folks right here. That I'm joining this crew right here. To death do us part. I'm riding with Jesus. As often as we say baptism is an outward sign of an inward change, it is an act of obedience as Jesus commanded all Christians to be baptized. It is a sign to the person being baptized and great encouragement to all observing the baptism. Man, you have no idea how encouraging baptisms are to the body unless you have experienced it. 
Something happens, something divine happens in the room when we as a church witness somebody joining the family, joining the team, and publicly saying, I am not walking with the world anymore, but I'm walking with Jesus, and a walk with Jesus is to walk with a new family. This is the power of baptism, and we plan to do those in just a couple weeks, so don't miss out. Here's the next way the local church plays a part in your spiritual growth. And this one's going to be hard. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Here it is, discipline. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. But the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. I had to say it slow, and y'all know why. Because it don't often feel like love. As the parents used to say, this is going to hurt me (laughs) more than it's going to hurt you. I'm not sure where I'm at with that. My daddy right over there, I ain't going to even look at him. I'm going to go right on over here. I had that saying. I can feel it now. (laughs) Did keep me in line, though, that's for sure. Discipline is the Bible word for what we may deem an unpleasant means of grace. But the Bible urges us to see it differently. When we are disciplined by God, it means we are God's children. We should worry if we aren't disciplined in our sin. Now, I know one of my prayers has been, God, do whatever you got to do. Don't leave me callous. Don't let me wander away from you. Do what you got to do. Don't let me go the way of the devil. God's discipline comes in many ways. Let me be clear here. God's discipline comes in many ways, and we shouldn't try to interpret every difficulty as a discipline. Can we please stop doing that, okay? That, that you have to do something wrong, and that's why you're going through what you're going through. That's not good theology. But don't not consider the possibility of either, because it could be. Best is to surrender all of our lives to God and all our sin as well and to earnestly pray, thy will be done in my life. As James 1 encourages us, see trials as from the hand of a sovereign God to accomplish good in us, that everything that God does in the life of the believer is for your good. And most often, we can't see that good now. Not all trials are disciplined for sin. Jesus was perfect, yet faced several trials. But sometimes they are. And we should also include in the role of the church discipline. God sometimes uses the church as a means of discipline. He does. God sometimes uses his church as a means of discipline. If a member of the church is involved in a sin and refuses to repent and refuses to be discipled by the elders in that sin, Scripture calls us to remove them from the church. It's in Scripture, y'all. In fact, it goes even further. They say, give them over to Satan. I was like, whoa, my Lord. 
Y'all ever read the scriptures like, whoa, <laughs> that's in there. But even this is a means of grace. As it may lead them to repentance. God's discipline is more like a curb than a rod. And what does a curb do? If you start to drift off the road, you hit a curb, right? And that curb is there to remind, and I know because I messed some of my rims up hitting those things. Sorry, I'm having a moment. They cost. But it keeps you from going off of the road and staying in your lane. Now, and some of you say, but it's a lot of fun on the other side of the curb. You can, you, you can get on some hills. You can, you can hit some willies, man. It's fun out there. But eventually, you fall into a ditch. And God, because he loves you, will not allow you to shipwreck your faith. Therefore, he, he puts discipline in place to say, get your tail back over here in my will and my design. And the reason he does that is because he loves you. And sometimes he uses the church to do it. The church can serve as God's curve for wandering saints. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Your local church should primarily provide all of these things to its members. The Lord's Supper, baptism, discipline, preaching. These things don't only help us in our spiritual growth. They remind us that our spiritual community is more than a social gathering. And let me say this. And I don't have time to preach on this. And it has been stirring in my soul to do it. I do want to do a sermon on spiritual abuse. Because I do believe that churches have taken advantage of sheep. And the, and the waters have been muddy. Some churches have utilized their authority to take advantage of their members and overstep their boundaries. I mean, let me just give a couple examples real fast. And I'm gone, all right? A uh, 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 crazy stuff like the pastor telling you whether you can go on vacation for your anniversary. That's ridiculous. This is the kind of stuff that's out there, right? Using their spiritual authority for their own gain. Friends, God ain't called the church to do all that. I have folks come to me, pastor, are you okay if I have people over my house? And I'd be like, I ain't paying your mortgage. You can have whoever you want over there. And in fact, I don't want that kind of responsibility. That's your house. You do what you do. Right? I don't want that. Because next thing you know, I'd be like, what about my mortgage? Nah. Nah, I'm trying to pay my own mortgage. I can't help you out. You know? I don't want, you know, let's keep, let's keep that separate, all right? No, but seriously, though, I want to make sure that churches are not overstepping their boundaries. But the church should provide this for their primarily for their members, and this is why church membership is so important, and I believe making fellowship official. There's a difference between dating relationships and marriage relationships. When you're dating, the other person can leave at the first sign of any problem. Yep, I'm gone. <laughs> Caught you. Didn't know that was there. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's right. Now you wake up, what's on their post? Not in a relationship. <laughs> Status change. 
What's up? What'd I do? I don't know what you did. I'm out of there, though. <laughs> and the married, the married folks may be laughing, but they, sometimes they wish they had that opportunity still. <laughs> you wake up, you in the world I did. My goodness, can't get out of this. Y'all don't want me to be real. Y'all, y'all, want, me to, y'all want me to act, or y'all want me to be honest. I'm going to be honest. They laughing because I'm telling the truth. You ain't married, married until you got those moments. Well, conflict. When a relationship gets a little difficult, when you're dating, you boat in search of the perfect spouse or the soulmate. Soulmate. Man, y'all in these soulmates, like y'all going to find a perfect match right away. As I said last time, relationship is work. It's hard work. It don't just fold hands. I told y'all it's these hands, then maybe these hands. This is why many don't get married, because they want to leave the door open, and that's in my Bruno Mars voice. You know what I'm talking about with you? They want to leave the door open. What happens when conflict comes into marriage? You should work it out. In marriage, it somewhat forces you to have to confess and forgive over and 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 over again with the same person. That sometimes does the same thing that y'all just got done talking about last night. This idiot alone. Right? You don't get to call it quits. You gotta, you gotta figure it out. One writer says this: the issue with marriage is not that you have to deal with the other person more than for the first time in your life you had to deal with you. Marriage is hard work. You are laying there some days like, why did I do this? Especially when you can't get your way. But you made a covenant. And of course, there are harmful reasons to get out, which we need a whole sermon on that as well. But the majority of the issues you are in can be resolved. We don't simply join the church because it helps us keep Spiritually vibrant, though it does, we join the church to obey obey Christ, to love his people, and to serve others as well. And there are many, many, many people who simply date their local church. And they are there as long as nothing difficult happens, which is why some people like to just come to Sunday service so they can believe whatever they want to believe about the church without actually seeing what it's really about. As long as everyone's happy, I'm there. As long as there's no problem, I'm there. But the moment I see that the pastor is imperfect, I'm gone. Because this is selfishness and this is what we do in our life, don't we? We look around our circles and we say, who's not making me happy? And whoever's not making me happy, they got to go. You can't build relationships like that. And that's why some people, 50, 60, 70 years old, have no rich relationships because they haven't developed a maturity to love people in spite of their downfalls. 
Some people function like a long-term bachelor who never quite is able to commit to anyone. And man, as a pastor, you sometimes witness people leaving the church for the dumbest reasons. And there be some dumb reasons. And I'm not going to say none of them. I just be like, really? My bad. Most of the time we be running from not the imperfection of the church, but we be running from, I don't even know if I said that right. We be running from being known or discovered or, un, or, or uncovered. A lot of times we're running because we don't want people to really see us. Growth in godliness requires covenantal commitment or we will just boat and start dating another church. And some of you need to get off of church e-harmony or fish. Some of you need to just take a deep breath and get married to the church. If it's not ours, maybe it's somewhere else. It doesn't have to be Baptist Gear. Become a member and make the fellowship official. As Beyonce say, if you like it, y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Put a ring on it. And the covenantal church membership, as the inevitable ups and downs of any local church happens, our commitment to one another through it builds and matures our character and likeness. Those who stick in their marriage, right? Once again, setting aside some of the extremes, right? Ways that, that, that you should get out of those situations. We're just talking about just, just the, 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 the norm. I don't like this. I don't like that, right? Those who stay in it. They mature over time because marriage can act as a mirror in your life and it makes you see yourself and makes you deal with yourself and it makes a person that you're in a relationship deal with themselves and sometimes you wrestle, sometimes you don't like each other, sometimes you get on each other's nerves and as I said last week, some people walk into your marriage and they're like, ooh, I really want to be like that. Y'all dressed it like, ooh, I can't wait. I want to have it. Ooh, I really want that. No, 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 no. You don't know what it took to get here. You don't know what it took to get here. There was years that we didn't like each other, but we stuck with it. And out of that fruit came patience, came love, came joy, right, came goodness. The reason why I can deal with folks is because I had enough practice in my own marriage of having to die to myself and go back and have conversations with Paige, and Paige going back and having conversations with me. And in it, God grew us up. And we're still growing. If you stay in a church over five years, praise God to you. Because that's not easy. I mean, it's that marriage aside for a million. Staying in church a long time with a church is a hard thing. Because by year five, the honeymoon's over with. No, it's over with. Like, you know some stuff. You've been behind some doors. You volunteered at some things, right? You can begin to see some of the imperfections. And and if you stay, praise God to you. Because sometimes church will have you feeling like Lauren Hill. It could all be so simple. But you rather make it hard. Loving you is like a battle. And we both end up with what? 
Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Amen, somebody. How can you have a healthy relationship with the local church? Well, once again, like prayer, it's relational. So what does a healthy, good relationship require? Number one, it requires commitment. That is a two-way street. We want to be a church that goes to war with the consumerism mentality. If you're a member of a country club, travel program, or any other entity, you probably ask the question, what's in it for me? Church membership is different, though. Yes, what's in it for me, but also what's in me for them. Let me say it again. Church membership is different. Yes, what's in it for me, and you should get something out of church membership, but also what's in me for them. The reason we want a formal commitment is not to control you, at least not me. But we don't want to be like the girlfriend and boyfriend who are not really girlfriend and boyfriend, but they have expectations. Y'all ain't never been in a situation where, like, we ain't together, but you better not be together with nobody else. And the relationship kind of weird. Because they really, you really don't know what's going on, and you're like, I think I could go out to eat with you, but I'm not sure. And it's very ambiguous because nobody is really committing to the other person, but they don't want the other person with nobody else. We don't want to be like that. We call it complicated. And the same thing is the church, we're like, are they really submitted to our spiritual authority or are they not? Can we really speak into their life? Can we, can we not? I want every person who calls Bethel Gary their church to say, I have become a better Christian because of what the church has invested in me. And our hope is we can say we're a better church because you have invested into us as well. And the city of Gary is a better city because of what you've invested into the city as well. It's a two-way street. Second thing for a good church relationship is presence. Listen, online dating, it's cool. But at some point, you want to see the person, right? Because you know people be dressing themselves up on, on the profiles and stuff. They put the little extra gloss on now. And they glowing. And online is like the first step, right? When you're online dating, it's like the first step. I don't know you, you don't know me. I'm going to check you out. You're going to check me out. I'm going to see if I feel you, you know, or if I get good vibes. If we get good vibes, then after that, you want to take the second step. What's the second step? I want to see you in person. That's right. That's right. I want to see you in my presence. I want to see how, how, how you I don't care what nobody say. Looks matter. I just want to clear that up. These Christian folks want to talk about beauties only skin deep. Yes, it is deep. But hold on before we can get deep. Let's get shallow real fast. All right, because we ain't going deep. I need to, hey, I need to be attracted, all right? Now, I ain't saying that I'm just going to marry you because you look good. You got to look good in the inside, too. But both matters. That's why, that's one of the reasons why you want to see them in person. I don't care what nobody say. I want to see your face in person, and then we're going to talk. But eventually, you want the second step. You want to be in their presence, not only to see if they look good on the outside, but you also want to see how they respond to things, right? You want to make sure that their character is intact. It means something in corporate gathering. Presence means support and participation. Presence sometimes means that I'm serious. 
It means something in small group gatherings where a few people can make a big difference. It means something when other Christians are in crisis, not to just send me a letter, though I appreciate it, but when people are present. Being there is 99% of showing you care. Just show up. Be a part of it. Rarely do people remember what, what we say. They always remember if you were there for them. In light of this, the pandemic and online stream have created an entire population online. And few words for our online church family. We thank God for technology. We are thankful for how this allows us ongoing ministry with those who are COVID concerned, the shut-ins, the people who are checking us out online before actually attending. It's a great ramp to the ministry of Bethel Church. All that is wonderful, but let's admit it's impossible to practice the ministry of presence if you're not present. You can make the argument for for legitimate use of the online stream, and I agree with many of them. When it's not legitimate is when you're not COVID-concerned or shedding or new, and the online church is a virgin of online dating. And if you're doing online so you can do church in your PJs, then you need to stop the online dating. If you are doing it so you can avoid the entanglement of being around Christians, Stop online dating. Practice the ministry of presence. I urge you to get off the couch and back into the gathering. And it may not be Sundays. It may be in a small group. We need the ministry of presence because we as people like to hide so that we're not held accountable. And I also, with all of my heart, want to apologize to anyone who we might have failed to be present for during the pandemic. Maybe you know someone who is mad about it. Can you let them know that we want to make it right? I mean, y'all, things got real crazy during the pandemic. Things begin to change in all kinds of ways. And I know a lot of people don't understand what happens on the ministry end, but it got really, really, really crazy really fast. Anyhow, we would love to work through that. The last thing to make a relationship between the local church and yourself work is that we got to keep it a buck, y'all. Here's what he says in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins. Y'all like that? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Church has to be the one place, the one place that you and I can be honest. It has to be the one place. If every other place fails, the church has to be the one place where I can keep it above. The church has to be the one place where I can be transparent. The church has to be the one place that I can drop my mask and be real and say, y'all, I'm not having a good week. So it has to be the one place to say things ain't too hot in my marriage. It has to be the one place where it says I'm struggling with being single this week. It has to be the one place where you can say I'm tired of being tired. It has to be. It has to be the one place where we can be real. Because until we can be real, we have not really entered into relationship with one another. Realness does something. Vulnerability does something to you and I. When I can look you in your eye and trust you with the most vulnerable place in my life and to tell you that that, that I got some stuff down here that I need to unload and for you to say, bring it here. Without Without gossiping about it. Right? Knowing that you ain't going to go tell my business everywhere. 
right? I'm going to tell you what happened in church because we like to look across the room. We like to make our observations, and then we like to make our conclusions from a distance. Look at them two. Look at her. Look at him, right? This does not create an environment for people to be real. And we do that because we often forget the junk we got in our own life. As if we made it somewhere on our own strength and our own power. The other thing, if we're going to be transparent and real, we got to create spaces and opportunity for different voices to be heard. Because oftentimes we are ill-equipping the church to deal with certain stuff because we have oppressed certain voices. And because we don't hear from certain voices, we made our own conclusions outside of those voices. And now we create an environment that is not safe for certain folks. The church is going to be the one place we be transparent. We got to create space for the marginalized. We got to create space for the oppressed. We got to create space for the people that nobody want to be around. We got to create space for the voices that don't nobody want to hear because it brings down the injustice in the system. If we're going to be honest and we're going to be real, because according to James, there should be no biasness in God's church if we're going to be transparent. And when we do, something happens, church. Oh, yes. Something happens when we are transparent and we are real and our hearts are linked together. Something divine Happens something incomprehensible happens. Something that words cannot express happens when the church is together as one, loving and caring and holding and, and, and looking out for one another. Something happens, and theologians call it theophany. That's what they call it. Theophany. Pastor, what in the world is theophany? Now you're just showing off your degree. It's a big word, isn't it? But it's something that you need to learn and something that you need to know. It's good for us to learn in church. Theophany is when God breaks into the natural in a supernatural way. When God breaks into the natural in a supernatural way. And a lot of us have been praying for God to break into the natural a lot of us have been wanting to see God do great and marvelous things. A lot of us have been wanting God to rain down fire from heaven like he did in the Old Testament. And a lot of us have been wanting God to rain down manna from heaven. And some of us have wanted God to do like he did with the young guy in the Old Testament when he prayed to God and said, God, if you're with me, it was Gideon. He had, he had 300 men that he took down a whole army with. And he said, God, if you're with me, give me a sign. We want God to break into the natural and a supernatural way. And friends, what I'm telling you this morning is some of the supernatural experiences that we've been waiting on is that God has not done it. It's because God sometimes doesn't move when his children are not loving one another, when we are not caring for one another. But we when we do, I'm telling you the truth, God will break through in supernatural ways, ways in which man cannot move, ways in which your money cannot move, ways in which the church cannot do on its own. God wants to move in supernatural ways. 
We saw it, didn't we? We saw it in the book of Acts. Y'all remember when they were gathered up in the upper, the upper room, when they were gathered up in the upper room and the Bible says that they were together and they were praying and they were seeking God and all of a sudden fire came down from heaven, y'all. Yes, it came down from heaven and it broke into their fellowship and all of a sudden they start speaking in languages that they never spoken in before. When they got on the outside, the people who were looking on said they are speaking in our language and language that they do not know because friends, when the church of Jesus Christ gets on the same page, when we love Love one another, not just with this, but with our actual hands and our actual feet. It does something in the heart of God. It does something in the soul of God that God says, now you're doing things the way that I want them done. And now that you're doing it the way that I want them done, working together and loving one another, I'm about to show up and I'm about to show out. <laughs> I'm about to do something that man ain't never seen before because now. I can get the glory. Now, I can get the praise. Friends, theophany, God breaking into the natural in a supernatural way. Worship team is coming back at this time. And the reason why God breaks in the way that he does is because he wants to make sure that none of y'all get any of the credit for it. He moves in a way that none of us gets the credit for it. But when he breaks through, it is clear that it is the power of God. I've seen God break through in ways that I've seen him heal marriages in a day. I've seen God break through where he causes sin to fall out in a moment. I've seen God work through people in such a way that forgiveness that they were unable to do happens in a moment. He can and he will. One of the qualifications is loving one another. When the local church acts, in the way that scripture tells it to, we see things that I talked about earlier in the black church. They had a lot of theophany moments because they were all one accord and they were about loving one another. And God grew them spiritually in a divine way. Let's pray.